Good morning, church. It's always good to gather, even in this forum. I want to tell you something. Is Most of you probably figured out, don't know, that we record our services midweek. Last week, you know, as things just got heavy in our country, at the time we recorded, uh, you know, the riots and the protests were just in Minneapolis. By the time it went to airtime to Sunday, uh, it had spread, you know, into our own city of Seattle. And so I just want you to know, I don't know when we all hear this on Sunday exactly what will be transpiring. But here's what I know in all of this. Uh, just my heart is for God and for you. What I pray, what I hope is that just the love of God would be tangible uh, in your homes, in your hearts. And also the love of God would be tangible at those around you. That we as North Shore would be people that would seek Jesus, that would trust him, rely on him. And then we take the love of Jesus and spread it in every way that we can. Uh, so I just, uh, huh, I'm just with you. We're together in this. I love you. And I just love to pray for us. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we love you. Uh, we, we, need, we need your peace. Uh, we need your presence. And so we know you offer both. And so we receive that now. I pray it over each person, every home, our community. Uh, Father, I pray that we would grow, that we'd move to uh, healthier conversations and relationships. Uh, Father, that are pointed to you and all that you have to offer. Brother, because we know the only hope is in you and your truths and those lived out by each and every person. So that's our prayer today. Eyes on Jesus. We love you. We pray it in your name. Amen. So if you'll turn to James chapter 3, we're going to continue our series on faith works. Now, uh, last week, Pat made uh, some promises that I would have all the answers. Um, well, you know the answer to that is I don't have all the answers, not even close. And I know he was saying tongue-in-cheek because uh, there's some tough stuff that was in that text. But as we go through this, we're going to kind of continue with the thoughts that James had and Pat shared with us. And we're going to look at the power that propels our faith works that we see in the first part of James chapter 3. And so we're going to look at what James says, what the answers are to the questions that he poses. So Pat asked us from the text last week, who can tame the tongue? Who can tame the tongue? And the answer is in James 3.8. No human can. <laughs> and, I, and again, I could just hear, amen, right? I mean, we have all can remember like, ooh, when my tongue, your tongue got you in trouble. I was thinking about, boy, what illustration would I give? Uh, and, and the list is pretty long, but I'll give you this one. The time that this tongue got me in trouble. <laughs> I was a young guy in grade school. I was in a Christian school, and uh, a longer story is why was I in a Christian school? Because I did not come from faith. I was not in faith. My family was not in faith, but my brothers and sister and I were in this Christian school, and we didn't know how to behave at all in any setting, let alone in a Christian setting. So <laughs> one lunch period, each lunch would start with this. Everybody would stand to pray. So everyone stands and prays, and somebody, uh, one of the teachers or staff, would lead a prayer. 
so they'd have us bow our heads and we'd pray. So we're doing that, and I decided, hey, what, I wonder kind of what this looks like. So I opened my eyes and looked around. And all of a sudden, I made eye contact with the vice principal. If you know vice principals, they're in charge of discipline. And I thought, uh-oh. So I closed my eyes, and then I really started praying, right? <laughs> um, and sure enough, after lunch, I get called into his office. So I'm sitting there, and he starts talking to me about having my eyes opened during prayer. And I could feel it welling up. You know that sassy, rebellious little thing? It was coming. I said, no, no, don't do it, Scott. Don't do it. Don't be a stinker. And it came out. I said, well, how did you know that I had my eyes open in prayer? No, because he, right, had his eyes open. It's actually a great question. But, but the point is, he didn't like it at that time and how I said it with a bad heart. Um, needless to say, I got in trouble. And in this era... Some of you older people will remember this. We had something called corporal punishment. And that was a, a hack. <laughs> so, yep, the vice principal got to give me some hacks. So, in that, my tongue got me in trouble. Scripture tells us that no person can tame it. I know I can't. So, why would we want to tame it? Why even ask the question? And what James 3 in that early part, and what Pat did a great job of really bringing us to understand is that this tongue is powerful. It sets the course for the whole body. And so we look at faith work. This tongue plays a role in setting the course of our faith works. That's why James brings it up. If we look at the tongue's impact in our lives, we look at the lives, the words that we've been spoken to. The ones that build us up, right? They're like, yeah, you pull your shoulders back. But those words that you could remember that did damage and they echo in your mind and your heart for a long, long time, sometimes our whole lives, in our homes. The words spoken in our homes sometimes are just beautiful. Sometimes they're powerful and they're damaging and they start to destroy the very place that we live. Our church. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to words that have done great damage to the work of God. Our community, I mean, just, just sit back and look around our community, our nation, and how powerful words are. And I think you're going to agree with me. Right now, our country, we need better words than we're hearing right now. We need better words than we're hearing right now all through our country. So why? Why is or does this tongue have so much control? Because the tongue is neutral. It's just this kind of thing. But what Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, uh, it's what this tongue is attached to. This tongue is a conduit to our heart. Out of the uh, overflow of the heart, uh, comes our words through our mouth. So it really is, it's not the tongue that James is really addressing. He's addressing the heart. Because what our heart is filled with will overflow out our mouth and out our words. And it sets things in motion. That's why James is talking about it. And he's addressing teachers here and rabbis, but it really applies to all of us. And how does God tame this tongue, right? 
How's it going to get tamed? Uh, and James is going to teach us on something called wisdom. God uses wisdom to tame the tongue. He pours wisdom into our hearts and our lives so that it comes out our tongues and sets the course for the faith works that he has for us. So again, James chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. And James wants us, first of all, to be aware that there are two kinds of wisdom. There's a, a bad wisdom and there's a good wisdom. But before we get there, let's take a closer look at what wisdom is. What is wisdom? And first of all, wisdom is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of a process of knowledge, understanding, and then the byproduct is wisdom. So what knowledge is, knowledge is just simple information, data, things we take in, right? It comes in images, words, what we read, just things coming in, what we understand. Uh, excuse me, then it goes from knowledge to understanding. And understanding is this, this clarity of the knowledge that we've taken in. It is the, the, it's how this works, the mechanics of that knowledge, and, you know, just kind of a little more intimate, uh, you, know, uh, you know, understanding of the workings of it. But then from that, in that understanding, it filters through our value system, our belief system. And then it hits, becomes wisdom. And wisdom is the outflow, the manifestation, if you would, of that data or that knowledge and that understanding. And so with that, wisdom is something that is, you can see, you can, you can touch. And just think about wisdom, okay? And if we look at verse 13, uh, what we really see is wisdom is something that you can see, taste, touch, and hear. And it's so powerful, the impact that it has, that if we go back to the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, we see Solomon, who is the son of King David. And he takes over as king of Israel. And in that, he is leading, he's king, and he takes the time that he just prays. He says, boy, this is huge. How do I do this? So he's praying, and God visits him in a dream. And he says this, uh, what do you want? What are you asking for? And he says, okay, here's what I want. I want wisdom. I want wisdom. I want to have knowledge and understanding come out of my life so that I can lead well. I want the product of knowledge and understanding of you, God, to come out of my life. Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, and he wrote it later in his life, and he's really given instructions of all that he's learned, because Solomon came to be known as the wisest man on earth. Here's the advice he gives late in life, Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. He says, my child, listen to what I say. Tune your ears to wisdom. Search for it as you would for silver. Seek it like hidden treasure, for the Lord grants Wisdom. It is this precious treasure that we should seek, he says. And then he goes on into Proverbs to talk about how it sets our course for us. We need to seek wisdom. It is a treasure because it sets our course. Proverbs 1, then you will understand what is right. This is after we've acquired wisdom. You will understand what is right, just, 
and fair. And you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. Wisdom is a safe, safe place. And so Solomon says, go after it, go after it. And we need, as I, I look around our country right now, I watch the TV, I hear people speaking. Um, you know, on Facebook, I don't like to interact a ton on Facebook, but, you know, I'm kind of a voyeur. I kind of watch and look and get a pulse. And um, it's ugly. It's ugly. We desperately need wisdom. Because wisdom, as James is teaching right now in a time of turmoil for these Jewish Christians, they need wisdom. We need wisdom as well. So this is something that we should, as Solomon asked us, tune our ears to. And as I was stating, see, the wisdom in verse 13, James gives us, says, hey, I want to ask you to evaluate yourselves. Who's wise among you, it says in verse 13. And then he says there's a little litmus test, a little quick look, just a little quick check if it's there. It says this, who is wise and understanding among you? This is verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And I love this. You know, and you, you all know this. Wisdom, you can see it. You can hear it. I mean, you can feel it. You know when you're in the presence of wisdom. And I was even thinking about this point and as I was working through it. And people were coming into my mind. I mean, some of them all around. You know, one person in particular I was thinking is a, a friend of mine named Gary Harper from Orcas Island. Someone who's been in my life for a lot of years. Uh, he is so um, in love with Jesus. He loves Jesus. Uh, and he's intelligent. Uh, and, and, and in that intelligent, he uses it. He's full of grace. He, he's loyal. He's loving. He's generous. It's humble. It's these things that you just, you just feel it when you're around him and he begins to speak and it just gives more and more evidence. And what James says, hey, there's two things when you take a quick look at wisdom. And that's first is in the action of somebody, the good conduct. And what he's talking about there is that you can see godliness. You can see God's character in the person. You see Jesus. You can see Jesus through them. Then he goes on to, it's in their attitude. The meekness of wisdom, he says. And meekness is just, it hasn't really translated well in English. Meekness, we usually think is, is weakness. And it could be the furthest thing from the truth. What he's talking about here is this powerful posture of being confident. And in that confidence brings a humility and a gentle disposition of submission to the ways of God. It is saying, I am in full control. I know who I am, because, and I know who God is, and I submit to God, and therefore I uh, display, and I live out the character of God in my life. That's what meekness is. And right now, I'm hoping that as you sit back and you're taking this in, I hope that there's faces flooding into your mind of wise people in your lives. I want you to just take a breath right now and thank them. 
be thankful that there are wise people because we are learning how powerful wisdom is. Sets the whole course of our life and God uses these people to pour it into us. James keeps going and he he wants us to know that not all wisdom is equal. Not all wisdom is equal. So he's going to contrast two kinds of wisdom. And, And the first one, what I call bad wisdom, it's the wisdom that destroys relationships. It's a wisdom that destroys relationship. It's a, it, it's a bad wisdom. Now I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So this bad wisdom, it's a wisdom that does not come from above. It comes, or it does not come from God. It's a wisdom that does not come from God. And there's indicators. You know, when you're driving your car, you got these little lights. Those are indicators to tell you, Something's up. Something bad's happening. And he gives us a couple indicators that we are living uh, with bad wisdom. Wisdom that does not come from God. Bitter jealousy. Selfish ambitions. Really what he's summing this up, and he put it in a nutshell, is self-focus. You are living with a self-focus. That's the problem. That's the indicator. We're living life with uh, what about thinking about what I don't have, what I should have, what I deserve, what I want, my desires, what I want to achieve in this world, how much I know, what I think about a topic, how I view things, and how I believe and think things should go. It's just this selfish jealousy and ambition that's all about me. It's living in a world that it's taking up, it's me. You know, it's taking more, it's me, it's me, it's me. And ultimately what he says in verse 14, that it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Um, It comes from a wrong heart. And we should not be proud of it. We should not boast. It is not true wisdom. It is not good wisdom. James says it's false to the truth. So where does this fault to the truth or bad wisdom come from? Verse 15, he gives us the source of this bad wisdom. What he's going to do, he's going to give us the three enemies to believers. And so we really want to take notice of this. And you can find it really talked in a little more detail in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. But the three enemies to us believers, to followers of Jesus, is the world, the flesh, and the devil. So he says this, is that this wisdom is, does not come from above, this bad wisdom, uh, but it comes from this, but is earthly. He says unspiritual and demonic. So when he says earthly, what he's, he's saying is it's of the world. And anytime scripture talks about the world, it basically says it's not of God. So it's just saying the world is something that is not of God. That this world, okay, 
not of God, has its own system. It has its own pattern. It has its own value system. And it's uh, selfish. It's survival of the fittest. It's doggy dog world. It's elevation of what I believe and what I think. I am the center of this world. <laughs> God has something else to say. Romans 12, 2 says this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to the pattern and the values of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, this world is limited. It's just contained to this world. Uh, what it's missing is the pattern of God or the knowledge, the thoughts of God. This world is, 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 is constrained to what, to what this world understands. So we can understand from this limited perspective, uh, it has constrained the knowledge of this world by what it can offer. And that's not very much. And it's constrained to the false promises that it makes, which it can't make promises to us. And it's ultimately, it's empty. It's ultimately empty. And there's so many times... Uh, that I've talked to people toward the end of life, and this is a common conversation, is how empty this world is. And I've got, someday I'm going to give you an illustration. i got one just brewing out, but I won't give it to you. Sorry. But I've had some power conversations with some successful people to say, I achieved everything here, and it left me empty. God's wisdom, though. God's wisdom. The wisdom that comes from God, from God's knowledge, God's knowledge of all things, the fact that God's knowledge is eternal, God's knowledge is what created us, that knowledge will never leave you wanting. And here's the sad thing. When we live in the wisdom that does not come from God, but live in the pattern of this world, we miss this incredible bank of wisdom that God offers us. When we rely on the world's uh, wisdom, we miss God's knowledge, God's wisdom to guide our course. Not of God. And he goes on, he says, uh, it comes from a place of the, from spiritual. What he's saying here is that which is, has not transformed, that which has not been renewed and regenerated, it means that God's power is not at work. It's called the flesh called the flesh, where the Spirit of God is not working. The power of God, Jesus' work, is redeeming us. It's re renewing our hearts and our minds. We actually get the mind of Christ, it says. At 1 Corinthians 2, 6, I believe it is, that we actually get the mind of Christ. That's his work. And then what happens is when we're regenerated and God uh, works and renews our hearts, he deposits the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. My message and my preaching, this is Paul talking, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom. Come on, check that out, right? So that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. See, the wisdom not from God does not have God's power. It is limited in what it can do. It can't redeem. It can't restore. It can't heal. 
It can't break down strongholds. It can't defeat evil. Only God's power can do that. Don't you agree with me that we desperately need God's power right now in our world? We need to see God's redeeming, transforming power right now. And so we can't live from a wisdom that does not come from God, that does not have his power, does not have the power of the Holy Spirit working. And he wraps this up with this source or this wisdom that does not come from God. He says it's demonic. I mean, he's just kind of throwing it out there. Just, I would call it a gut punch, just shooting straight. It's of the devil. It's of the devil. It's empty. Uh, it puts us in friendship with the enemy of God when we're living by it. And we should take notice. That's why James just throws that down. It's of the devil. And there's fruit when we live in this wisdom that does not come from God. And he gives us two things in verse 16. Uh, there's disorder and every vile practice. And so what we see is um, this is a wisdom that destroys relationship. The first relationship it destroys is our relationship with one another. It creates disorder and chaos because, as James points out, um, and we are living by this world, we are selfish. So we go on a path to consume all we can get. We, it's about us. Again, like I said before, what we think, how we go about business. And you see all through Scripture, um, that's what sin is. Anything not done by faith is sin. And every sin story is about somebody saying, God, out of the way, I'm going to consume for me. And when it's all about us, it starts pulling us away from relationships with one another and disorder and chaos because that which we were created and on this earth for is relationships starts to break down. And it's so interesting. Most of you know that I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, and so I have this clear line of contrast of what it looks like to walk with Jesus and what it looks like to walk with the wisdom of this world. And it is interesting. So my family, there's just a couple of us that are sold out to Jesus. And many, many of them are not. And it is as clear, as clear as day. The order, the stability, harmony, the growing relationships that are found in Jesus' followers for those who aren't, those who are trying to get theirs in this world. And he moves on to this, every vile practice. Every vile practice. And what he's talking about is when we live by the wisdom that's not from God, it actually separates us from God. As I was talking a few seconds ago, uh, it's sin. We don't live by faith. We start being about us, and we start replacing God with us and our desires, what we want. Again, that's called sin. And sin has an unquenchable appetite more and more and more, and it leads to death and destruction, and it leads us to a place where we are separated away from God. It breaks relationship with God. So this bad wisdom is a wisdom that destroys relationship, and we should take notice of it. But there's good news, right? Lots of bad news there. Here's the good news, right? There is a good wisdom. And I can't wait to tell you about this. I didn't like that last section. So let's dive into this. And I really want in this section for all of us just to sit back. Take it in. I want you to, to listen and to hear the nature and the heart of God. 
and really take it into your own lives is, is that what you're seeing? Is that what you're experiencing? And I hope it is something that you can, can hope for in your own life. This is what he has for us. Verses 17 and 18. The good wisdom. Wisdom that makes peace. But the wisdom from above, from heaven, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As I stated, the source of this wisdom, the wisdom that comes from heaven, some of your translations read, um, as Job 12, 13 says, it's from God. Wisdom belongs to God. It's his, and the good wisdom, he gives out. James 1, 5, I shared a few weeks back, is God takes his wisdom, and he gives it to us generously. Just ask, he says. I love that. It's, just, it's right there. You just ask. Remember, go back to Solomon. What did Solomon do? He just asked. We can just ask for it. And I'm hoping there's a lot of asking being done all through this message and today when we start wrapping up. So the source is it comes from God. And there's a foundational quality to God's wisdom. He says, first of all, first of all, foundationally, it's pure. It's unpolluted by this world. <laughs> when I was reading that and studying and praying over that, I thought, I need something that's unpolluted by this world right now. Don't you? Don't we need something that's just unpolluted by hate, unpolluted by violence um, and sharp words? Don't we need something that's pure and unpolluted by this world? That's what he says. It's unpolluted by us, by our selfishness, our pride, our arrogance. It's pure of the things of God. It is Jesus-focused. It is about the kingdom of God 100%. That's what God's wisdom is. It's pure. And then James goes on, and in this section, he starts giving um, uh, kind of this list of what I call the Beatitudes of wisdom. And the Beatitudes are something in Matthew 5 that Jesus taught. And, and, and Jesus really taught in the Sermon on the Mount, is, you know, be like this. This is who we should be. And what, it's interesting that James is drawing from the teachings of Jesus, who, if you remember early on, we found out that he didn't believe in Jesus. It wasn't until after the resurrection that he started believing that his brother was God, the Messiah, the Savior. But obviously he was paying attention. He took in because he's going to reflect a lot on the, the Beatitudes. So I'm calling this the Beatitudes, who we should be in wisdom. What should wisdom be? First of all, it's peaceable. Now, I looked at Webster's for this. Peaceable, what is that? It is inclined to avoid arguments and conflict. It loves peace. It is peace-loving. This is not what I'm experiencing all around me. I'm not experiencing people that are peace-lovers. Now, I want to get a point. Just because you have a tension and a conversation doesn't mean you're not peace-loving. Because we need to come um, with each other to talk about differences and stuff. That's how we get there. But peace-loving sets a course. And you can feel it when someone's peace-loving versus what I would call violent 
whether that's a physical violence or a verbal violence or an emotional violence. You can see it. It's tangible. And I know there's a lot of people in our church as followers of Jesus that love peace. They're peaceable. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to call us out. We need to hear your voice more. We need more people who want the words of Jesus and want peace and love peace to be heard. So I want to call you to rise up. Let's change the course of this thing uh, by being peaceable. The wisdom that comes from above is gentle. And I love it. It's the kindness and consideration of God towards others. It's the Jesus-like presence that we bring to every encounter. Because remember, wisdom is always something that is lived out. So it's always engaging us and people. So I want to ask you a question. Do people see a reflection of Jesus when they engage you? Are you gentle like Jesus? Because it says he's kind, he's good. Are you gentle like Jesus? Do you have the wisdom that comes from above, from heaven? Goes on here. It's open to reason. <laughs> Boy, and I saw that when it says, ooh, that's going to sting all of us, right? Uh, but I really want to talk about this. Open to reason. Because you are open to reason when you're, in sec- when you're secure with what you know. An argument of spirit, okay, shouting someone down, getting after them, is when someone's insecure. You've all been there. When you're secure and you know something, you can ride it out. And what happens is it keeps you humble because you're so secure in what you know. And this is talking about a wisdom that comes from God. We're so secure in God and who he is that we can give an ear. We can humbly listen to somebody. We can be curious that maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe there's a way to look at this that I don't fully understand because I am limited. I'm not God. So I'm going to be open to reason. And that makes us a listener. When we get to this openness, we're listeners. Not just listening to get our point, to make our argument, to say, what is your data? I'm going to come and give you my data. But we're listening to the heart of the person. We're a learner. Open to reason. Then it goes on to full of mercy. Man, he's hitting us hard here, but it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And this is given space for others. Hold, hold with me. To be wrong. That's what mercy is, right? God gives us mercy when we're wrong, when we made a mistake. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us mercy. So God's wisdom says, okay, that's what it's going to look like. You're going to give space for somebody to be wrong. Wow. And I say this, is you give them that space to work it out. Because as we are growing and engaging people, Life is about a process. Even our journey with the Lord, we we call it discipleship. And that's about maturing and growing into uh, loving God and loving others. It's a process. And we need to give mercy as people are trying to work it out. The same is true in every encounter we have, you know, especially as we look all around us. There's so many different fronts where there's so much tension. And we need to give mercy to people. It bears good fruits. It's impartial. And I love this. It sees and hears everyone with the Jesus glasses. 
Because what Jesus always sees is he sees a soul. He see, sees somebody that he is calling unto himself. He wants us to see people the same way. Everybody. We want, he wants us to, to see their story and know the journey that they must go on. And if we don't know the journey or their story, we don't know the journey they must travel. So we have to, to be impartial, learn other people's stories. And whatever that story is, invite them to the table. Because we want them to meet who we know, and that's Jesus. That's the wisdom that comes from above, from God. And he goes on to this. It's sincere, he says. It must be genuine. People know fakes. I tell you what, I mean, I think you, we're together in this. I do not like what I call fake Christian, that it's just this kind of religious exercise and it's a social club. What I love, because I think God loves this, is people that are truly followers of Jesus, who have soft hearts for the teachings of Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit in their life, and they are, are, are like uh, soft clay where the master can mold them and shape them to the, for the faith works he has for them. All of us, those are the people we, we should desire to be and we want to be. And that comes from a sincere faith in Jesus Christ. And I love it. And sincerity looks like in engagement to the world around us. It looks like somebody that brings hope. Like, I hope for you that you would know Jesus. And that's my deepest concern for you, is that not about fighting, making sure you agree with my ideas. No, no. I want you to know the Jesus that I know, the sincere, deep place. Not using religion and even the Word of God as some sort of club or leverage. No, but it's sincere of all that this can do is to save someone's soul and put them in a relationship with Jesus Christ in a place where the Holy Spirit will empower them so that they can have faith works. And we could be co-laborers on the journey on this earth to spread the gospel. That's what, that's what sincerity does. And it goes to this. I love how he ends in verse 18. He says, there's a fruit. There's a harvest when we live with the wisdom that comes from above. Wisdom from God. And he says, this is a wisdom. If you're a blank filler out, it's the wisdom that makes peace. You can go back up there and fill that in right now. It's the wisdom that makes peace. He says, when you do this, when you live this way in the wisdom of God, you'll have a harvest of righteousness in you and around you. And what righteousness is, is right with God, a right standing with God. That's how powerful the wisdom that comes from God is. The impact it has, the fruit, the harvest, it brings people into a right relationship with God. But he says in order to do that, you have to be at peace so you can sow in peace because that makes peace. So it starts with you being right with God and you sow that seed from that peace with God you have so others can be at peace with God and then peace will rule the heart and our land. It's powerful. Man, I, I experienced this firsthand. Uh, a church I worked in, I was a youth pastor. 
And one day I get called into the senior pastor's office. He says, hey, we have some people here to talk to us. Okay. So I go into this meeting, and there's two people there that I know who they are, and they're very, very um, high standing in the community. You know, movers and shakers, big time. Um, so I come in there, not sure what they want to meet about. Um, these two people um, uh, happen to live uh, a lifestyle that didn't agree with the teachings of the church. I'll leave it at that. Um, and they start talking to us. And what they do is they st- invite us into these places of influence in the community to be part of these committees uh, and these discussion groups. And, and so we're sitting there taking this in and say, they're really coming to this Bible-believing church and they're asking us to be part, you know, deeply part of this community. So we listen and we go through that. And, and the senior pastor, after they've made their ask to us, says, I- I'm curious. Um, that w- why, why are you asking us as a church, as, as a Bible-believing church? And one of them spoke and says, I'm going to tell you a story, and this is why. We're here. Uh, they said, years ago, long time ago, so nobody was on staff at, at that church currently, years ago, they said they were walking their dog, and their dog ran into the grounds of the church. So they went to get the dog. They said the door of the church offices opened up and a senior leader came out and started shouting derogatory things. And, and this is their test. So this is true. I wasn't there. I don't know. This is what they said. Um, picked up rocks and threw it at them. Saying, get off our property. Uh, she talked about how that hurt. And they carried that with them. They said, but what we've been noticing is there's something different about how you are currently going about this. See, and here's, we made a decision, uh, this staff, that said, you know what? We live in a community that uh, does not love Jesus. So we're going to have to be the love of Jesus. So we made a distinct decision that we are not going to change our message going to dilute it or anything, but we're going to carry it Jesus-like in the wisdom that comes from above. We're going to make that decision. And so we just went out and we loved like Jesus everywhere. Okay? And so as we're sitting here, we're here like, boy, here's this fruit, this harvest of righteousness, because we did, and it's still true today, is an incredible place in this community, but it, it even goes further is these, this couple had two high school kids that they started letting these high school kids come to youth group. They heard me talk about the only hope in this world is Jesus Christ, only one who can save. They accepted Jesus Christ, both of them. I baptized both of them, and there they were, you know, we, we did it in the lake right there. Watch it. One of those kids went to seminary and today is a full-time pastor sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. A harvest of righteousness because we chose 
to live the wisdom that comes from above. And all of these beatitudes of wisdom, we just put it on display and made sure that self was gone and Jesus was promoted. That's what we can do. Church, that's who God calls us to be. This is the word of God. That's what he has for us. So I have a couple of questions for you. As we look at this, you know, our response, I want you to ponder, I want, want you to evaluate what kind of wisdom is flowing from you. Grab that. What kind of wisdom is flowing from you? Is it making peace? I love the simplicity of Scripture sometimes. Is it making peace? Second, I want you to, to, to continue with that thought, is ask God to show you where and how you need to tune more to God's wisdom. Where do you need to tune more into God's wisdom? We went down this list. You go to that scripture. James chapter 3, verse 17. Look at that. How do you need to be more like Jesus, the wisdom of God? First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.3 says that. says, Jesus is the wisdom of God. So where do we really start if we're going to have this conversation? It always starts with Jesus. So I want to ask you, where are you with Jesus? Where are you with him? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you received him by faith? If you have not, I want to invite you. We're going to have a Zoom call, um, prayer. It'll be in the links on the chat. You click that. Come in there. I'll be in there. Many of our pastors and say, I want to receive Jesus. I want to start this faith walk with Jesus Christ so that I could have the wisdom that comes from God. Maybe you're a believer. And maybe it just says, you know what? I haven't pressed into Jesus the way I should. I've let my journey and my faith grow stale, stagnant. I want to invite you. You come into the prayer meeting or right there in your home. You ask God, make me more like Jesus. I want to live this wisdom of God out fully. Church, I love you. And I am so confident in Jesus Christ. The world has me no confidence right now. Nothing. But Jesus Christ have full confidence that he's going to see us through each one of these situations and our role in that is to be like Christ and bring his power into every situation. So let's lock arms, let's join together, and let's be the church. I love you, North Shore. God bless you.